Now, you see, aren't you ashamed of yourself to think that a man of such honor would refuse to share his windfall with his old comrades? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, Nathan, 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 please don't destroy the image that I have created. It's quite obvious that you're on to something. We couldn't mistake your steadfast walk, your sense of well-being, and your new shoes. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul, and I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys, um, you know, got got back from having your mind blown from one more Paul Bearer, and you're back for this episode. Yeah, I'm. I'm. My mind is still blown. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we we only talked about it a couple minutes ago. You guys don't know that, but we're just we're still in shambles. Way to peel back the curtain. I thought we were <laughs> yeah. going to keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a prank I was going to play at the end and reveal <laughs> to everybody. Now, uh, so yeah, now we're on to the the next episode, which is a uh, season three, episode eighteen, Dead Man's Shoes. Uh, air date uh, January nineteenth, nineteen sixty two. Number one film, El Cid. Still, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm just stuck on the same web page every time I check. I don't know. <laughs> this movie cannot be that popular. Uh, and the number one song is "The Twist" by Chubby Checker. So it was still, you know, storming through the nation after it came back to number one. Still twisting through the yeah. <laughs> twisting through the nation. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, what what if uh, Nathan had found Chubby Checker shoes in this uh, episode? You know, would have been more fun. It would have been more fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't find anything on this day and date, but two days before. Uh, Ten former game show contestants, all of whom had testified under oath that they had not been given answers in advance of their appearances, pleaded guilty to perjury. This is from the Game Show 22. The most prominent was former Columbia University instructor Charles Van Doren, who had won $129,000 on, on that program. 20, sorry, 21. Uh, I just mentioned this because other than it being a big scandal, uh, the film Quiz Show... Uh, which went on to get some like Oscar attention was uh, based on the 21 case was directed by Robert Redford. Oh, wow. So there we just go. talked about him two yeah, episodes ago in the dark. Yeah. So Very think nice. about that. It makes me wonder like after that, th- th- this was going on like two weeks later, he was just probably like, huh? You know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like it's cause you know, he wanted to make a movie about this. It makes you wonder like, you know, in passing as it was happening, what, what your thoughts are, you know, but um, yeah, the whole big uh, finding out that game shows rigged, was a big deal, and that's why there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of changing of how game shows were run and why there's different types of game shows after that. With because this was a straight like trivia, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it caused a lot of uh, public mistrust. Like they stopped trusting uh, television because it was fake. <laughs> yeah. It, it's crazy to me to think that like you'd be shocked by something like oh. TV, it's not real. <laughs> you know, we live yeah. in the age of reality television, and you know, 
most of it's scripted and everything, and most people know that now. Well, but. like, did you? I mean, when when did you find out that the Price Is Right contestants they're real, but they're all pre-screened before they end up in the audience, so the producers pick who they want. They don't know they're coming on the show, but the producers already kind of eye out, so it's not just randomly pulled as it looks like on the show. Well, it had to have been my sister when she was in college. Her roommate was actually on The Price is Right. Oh. And won the Showcase Showdown. What? Um, she was an opera singer. She went to school for uh, like uh, opera singing, vocal uh, stuff, whatever. Um, that would certainly get, catch the producer's yeah, attention. So yeah, so she started singing opera in line, I, I think, if if I'm remembering the story correctly. But she actually went on to win at, like Hovercraft and stuff. <laughs> on the Showcase Showdown, I think she sold it <laughs> just because the taxes and everything were ridiculous. But... um. Yeah, so I think that was the time I realized, like, Price is Right, that they pre-screen people just to pick more interesting, enthusiastic people. Because you know those people there that know all the pricing games, but they probably have the personality of a rock. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, I don't think I could be as energetic as some of those people. You get me up there, and I'd just be like, hey, Bob. Well, I guess it's Drew now. <laughs> just be like, hey, Drew. How's it going? <laughs> it's like, just, just no games where I run. Can we do something? Can, yeah. This is can not Plinko. Can I can sit back do the down now? Goddamn Yodel game. <laughs> yodel game. Yeah. But it's uh, a, I, I mean, like, I understand that you got to make things entertaining and everything, but well, it's, yeah. it's still a legitimate game of luck mm-hmm. and some strategy. But like. Well, then there was the big controversy with the pressure luck as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know that one or not. Yeah. yeah. Where the guy studied and studied the actual board. And it's funny because the producers are like, someone came to them and said, hey, your board's not randomized. There's a pattern. And they're like, well, no one's figured it out yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, and then, I mean, one guy did and he broke the game. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. that's not necessarily like, I mean, it is the producer's fault, but like, yeah, that dude deserves it. Yeah, well, he he also went on to lose all that money too in a lot of stupid ways. But yeah. anyway, that's not um that's not the show. This is not game show uh, mistakes. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna talk yeah. about TV that was uh, probably more real than reality shows. <laughs> yeah, right. So, all right. Anyway, just, I thought it was interesting that Robert Redford would direct uh, the movie based upon the the news events of its time. So there you go. Very nice. We'll jump yeah. into cast and crew. This episode was directed by Montgomery Pittman who we first talked about on the Re- Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? And last one we discussed was The Grave. Yeah, so. yeah. And he also directed two, I think. Didn't, or did I get that yeah, mixed up? Yeah, I think he wrote that one as well. Yeah. Um, but if you want to hear us talk about his career in full, definitely go back and check out to the uh, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up. And this episode was sort of written by Charles Beaumont. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll, yeah. Um, I, I guess we can kind of get into it now. So, uh, earlier on static was last season. Yeah. Yeah. So there was the episode static that was credited as being written by OC rich and Charles Beaumont. Mm-hmm. So that teleplay was written by Charles Beaumont based on the idea by OC rich. This one is a flip flop of that. And it's a teleplay by OC rich based on Charles Beaumont's story not necessarily even a story, just an idea. Um, but for some reason, 
O.C. Rich did not get a credit on this episode, mm-hmm. and only Charles Beaumont did. Yeah, there was a lot... <laughs> They say it's because Beaumont was so busy at the time that he was kind of um, well, and his health issues. Well, that that's we discussed. what I, I think. It's more. I think on I, Static we started discussing why he was uh, working with OC Rich. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those uh, hand waves of him being so busy. I think there was some problems starting to crop up, right? Because I mean, when when his when his health fell apart, it fell apart quickly you know so yeah and he did not stop (laughs) taking projects and (laughs) writing so he was definitely in over his head yeah um so he came up with the idea for this oc rich ended up i think putting the pencil to paper and actually writing the teleplay for this yeah but uncredited but i wanted to give credit where credit is due (laughs) i mean you got to blame somebody right uh (laughs) and also stock music in this that the i think the more driving uh like jazzy stuff in this was from the fever. So yeah, the, I, could, yeah. I could see that music. Music uh, was really good in this, but it wasn't, it wasn't actually written for this episode, but I like yeah, the music it was, a lot. I, I like the music at the very beginning of this. Uh, the rest of the episode gets very repetitive. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> Cause it, it's kind of used as a cue and as like a, a hint of what's going on <laughs> in the episode. So every yeah, well, time well, you hear a certain drum beat come in, it kind of, it, explains what's happening but when it first kicks in when the episode starts mm-hmm. um we'll talk about how it starts it, it's got this kind of almost like peter gunn yeah uh, sound to it and I, it, I i was just listening to some of the um uh henry Mans- man mancini yeah mancini uh stuff for peter gunn i was just listening to that soundtrack recently and when this kicked on i was like I'm liking this. This yeah. is cool. No, uh, yeah. yeah, interesting start. We'll get to that in a second. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, let's get into the the cast. Yeah, cast. We have Warren Stevens who plays Nate Bledsoe. Who uh, some interesting stuff. This was his only original Twilight Zone appearance. He was in one episode of the 1980 series of Twilight Zone. Four episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Yeah, I made a note. Um, one episode of Star Trek. Which um, I don't know if you're from. No. I mean, I know. I, yes, I know what Star Trek is. I don't know. I, I didn't write. Down I didn't know episode. if it was like an episode that was yeah. popular or anything. I always look to you like. I think I think I've explain. seen more Twilight Zone than I have tw- and then sixty Star Trek. Honestly, now and, and there's okay. less episodes of that. So yeah. Um, yeah. I just always look to you like, mm-hmm. explain, please. Yeah. It's... <laughs> uh, but he was also in Forbidden Planet, very mm-hmm. classic sci-fi film, and uh, weirdly enough, Samurai Cop. Yeah, I still I still need to see that. That's one that's been floating around. I saw the riff tracks of it. Like, I, I, I wanted to see it. Um, also, it's great. Just, just speaking of, like, weird projects that, you know, like, because you think about television and whole, about how every, you know, channel had to have programming, right? So there's a lot of shows that just never made it. And his and he was in one episode of something called uh, O'Hara U.S. Treasury, and so <laughs> and the, the, the so the tagline for this show, which only lasted one season, was James O'Hara of the United States Treasury works in several branches to stop illegal activities such as smuggling, contraband, tax evasion, and the like. Like, yeah. who are you going to get, O'Hara? Like, it's just I feel like that's one of those ones where it's like, you know. Your grandparents see TV to watch. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I watch a lot of boring old TV and a lot of police procedurals, but yeah. I don't know if I want to watch a show about the treasury. <laughs> like, and I hope to never see this thing show up again because I don't want this to be a running theme, but, you know, but, you know, hey, if something's going wrong and you just want to check out some taxes that you're going to call 
O'Hara. You know? I might hunt down an episode. I've been watching a lot of old TV I, re- recently. I, this so. clearly must have had like an intro, like title song and everything or music. And I just wonder what the, it, it couldn't have been like a theme song. Like, like I hope it's, great. I hope it has lyrics and everything. Amazing. Yeah. That just explain what he does. Yeah. It's basically that plot that like, you just like when read. the smugglers scare you, gotta call O'Hara. <laughs> U.S. Treasury. That's not really what that'd be, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I just thought I, I, it was one of those things when I first started doing research for the episode, I saw that and I'm like, I have to write it down. And then when I started taking my notes later, I lost it. And I'm like, that show existed. I saw the name. So I had to go <laughs> find it They took it off of IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like right. this shouldn't have existed. Um, next up, we have Richard Devon, who plays Daggett, who uh, was in, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, but he was in some interesting stuff. He got him in uh, Magnum Force, mm-hmm. the Dirty Harry movie. Uh, Planet of the Apes, which has the Serling connection there. Uh, 310 to Yuma, the original one. Uh, Comancheros with John Wayne. And then he also plays Satan in Roger Corman's The Undead. Oh, I had a note here yeah. that he was uh, the voice of Batman for the pilot episode of the radio Batman program. Huh. So it's another Batman. So yeah. There you go. And there'll be another uh, weird pilot uh, correlation coming up here. But yeah, I was just excited to see they played Satan in the undead. <laughs> I didn't recognize him, but it's probably been a good like 20 years since I've seen that movie. Um, so next up, we have Joan Marshall, who plays Wilma. She was in three episodes of Y&I. Yeah. Uh, got a lot of that going on. This was her only episode of The Twilight Zone. One episode of Star Trek as well. Um, one interesting thing that I almost overlooked is that she played a character of Phoebe Munster on the pilot episode oh. of The Monsters, hmm. who was replaced... It was an unaired pilot. Um, she was replaced by the character of Lily Monster. Oh, so she was the, the stand-in, the, the normal... Mom. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so I guess some people said that uh, behind the scenes that maybe she was too close to Morticia from Adam's family. Okay. In the way that they had her dressed and all the makeup and everything. So they were they were concerned that it was too close, so they ended up replacing her hmm. and creating the character of Lily Munster, who ended up becoming iconic. Yeah. Um, and the, the, all the makeup and the hair and everything on Lily Munster, I, I think it was a good choice to... Uh, to replace the character of Phoebe Munster. <laughs> um, but it, it was yeah. interesting because it is an unaired pilot. So I'd, I had never seen it. Hmm. And uh, just doing some research into it. And you can find that episode on YouTube. And it's really weird to see different people in some of the roles. Like most of it, is, there's no Eddie Munster in the pilot or anything. But like Grandpa's the same. A uh, bunch of the other people. Um, what is their normal cousin oh, oh. Uh, Marilyn I, it's something like that yeah uh, yeah whoever it is like most of the people are the same but a few people are not hmm. and it's very strange to see that like I, I'm pretty sure Herman Munster is a different actor so it wasn't Fred Gwynn yeah okay nah, maybe it was Fred Gwynn I'm not sure but um that's interesting. Well, because like you mentioned Star Trek, I mean, we talked about yeah. this previously. the The original pilot of that, um, called The Cage, ended up being put into an episode, but they had uh, Nimoy as Spock already, so they had some connective tissue that they could tell yeah. this prequel story, kind of. So that, I'm sure, I'm sure the monsters didn't like dip back to, hey, remember that time Nolan was the same? Like they didn't show yeah. that episode. But yeah, so they never they never aired that. Hmm. So it it is out there. They probably put it on one of the DVD sets or something when it came out. 
Um, so one note about her I saw, and I think this is very unfair. And again, it shows how Wikipedia is edited. Under Wikipedia, it says Marshall habitually married, habitually married, uh, marrying five times. It's like, okay, so she got married five times. I'm saying habitually, it feels like there's a slant there. Yeah, that's like, like it's like, and if it was a guy, it would happen like, like every two years on a certain day. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's the Marian Moon, you know, like what? I just feel like it was like that's kind of a, a like a really negative way yeah, to say pretty, that. That's like, very mean. That's I mean, very mean spirited. Like, what do you say? Hugh Hefner habitually married? That would be true. That like, would be true, <laughs> but. Yeah, so I just the way they said, it, I'm like, someone has an axe to grind with this poor person that's no longer around. Like she yeah. didn't even get on the monsters, and then you're gonna like, you know, talk about her married life habitually. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, being on the pilot of the monsters is pretty cool, though. Yeah. Like that's something you could talk about your entire life, your entire career. Pretty Go to awesome. conventions, like meet the person that was in the monsters. She asterisk. Like, replaced <laughs> by Lily Monster. By what was her name? Yvonne. Uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever yeah. that was, <laughs> but. Yeah, um, no, it was pretty cool to see her is that like right after I watched the episode, I found that whole thing about her being Phoebe Munster and went and watched it. And it was cool to see her in like the hmm. makeup and everything right after watching this because uh, spoiler, she was my favorite part of this episode. <laughs> um, next up, we have Ben Wright, who plays Chips, <laughs> who we previously <laughs> talked about in Judgment Night all the way back in season one, who plays the captain of the ship. Um, and then he also popped up in Death's Head Revisited the season as the Doctor. Yeah, because he was known for being able to do accents, so that's why they brought him around. Uh, he was also in two episodes of Man from Uncle. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah, there were a bunch um, of people yeah. that were in Man from Uncle, but I'm trying to refrain from bringing up another show. Like, as much as I've been obsessed with Man from well, Uncle behind the scenes. you've been watching it recently, yeah. so I wanted to mention it. No, I mean, I... I Definitely have not set my uh, phone wallpaper to the <laughs> Uncle logo. Um, so his last role, I think we talked about this previously, was the vo- voice in The Little Mermaid. Yeah, so, I saw that. It's yeah. Cool. And, and also because of his slight British affect- affectation in this, is that why they called him Chips? Because if he talked like a regular American, would he be called Fries? That's my question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure we went through his career back yeah. in Judgment Night. So if you want to go hear us talk more about Ben Wright, you can what? go check out that Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great you go back and listen to episodes like they didn't talk about him at all. We have no idea about this rich tapestry of this man. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people would be real <laughs> upset. Like, you know what? I'm going to go back and listen to that episode because I am the world's biggest Ben Wright fan. Yeah. Um, but it saves us time from doing notes, That's fair. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> We've already talked about him. No, we definitely talked about him because he was built third on that episode or something. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Harry Swagger. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said Swagger. but I, can't I, I prefer that. Harry Swagger. Harry yeah. Swagger is Sam. Uh, only Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Don't really have much for him. Um, Two we, episodes of Man from Uncle. Just also noted. There you go. Uh, we have Ron Haggerty, who plays Ben. Uh, only Twilight Zone, a lot of Western TV, as like much of these character actors. At he the time. was in the TV series Sky King. He was like the uncle of the main character, and I just know that name because it was like a serial that would like show up all the time. And I guess it has a weird production and television history of how that show ended up on actually like the three networks at different times. Like hmm. it had this weird history, but I just know the name Sky King. Cause I think of like, uh, what was that, um, movie put out a few years ago, a sky captain, the world of tomorrow. Oh, I think that was yeah. kind of like, Oh, it's like kind of based om- on that. A, okay. An homage to that type of like, you know, like kind of adventure type of thing. So all I remember from that movie is there's one scene where you can see the empire state building in the background and King Kong's climbing it. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, see, look at this. Easter egg. L- little little Ready Player One before Ready Player One. There. Yeah. Huh? yeah. That's all I remember oh. from that movie. I think oh. I've seen it twice, <laughs> and I I don't remember anything else. But yeah. little Easter egg. Uh, next up, we have Florence Marley, who plays Daggett's girlfriend. Who she has one of the coolest IMDb promo shots up oh. under her yeah. uh, picture. Um, I'll look that up as you're talking. About yeah, it. as 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 I found it as I was doing my research, I showed my wife and I was like, "This is really cool." <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, yeah, it is." But this was her only Twilight Zone appearance. She really did not have too much else outside of that uh again some tv work and all that not to to uh diminish her career there (laughs) well no i have actually a note i'm still looking up her picture here i'm usually pretty good at this because i usually have it all ready to go um there was a note on her wikipedia page that said at a dinner director fritz lang bit marley's hand (laughs) that's all it says it's like what does that mean that's amazing yeah like the fact that it's like, oh, by the way, just for slang, just like, was it out of anger? Was it out of curiosity? Was it a compliment? I don't know. They were at dinner. Maybe yeah. it was just really hungry. The food <laughs> yeah. was taking too long. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I ordered German, and he's, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, she got bit by Fritz Lang. So I guess, I mean, is that is that is that a point of pride? I don't know. I would I would um, love to be bitten by Fritz Lang. Would I become a great filmmaker <laughs> if I got bit by Fritz Lang? <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, yeah. I, no, no. I saw this. Yeah, like she is like advertising, or she has like that 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 French cigarette holder or whatever. Yeah, she's. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 a really cool promo yeah, shot for a film called Tokyo Joe in 1949. Like yeah. that's a that's yeah, a cool picture. That's a power picture. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Like, and then she's like, "This is the hand that was bitten by Fritz Lang." <laughs> yeah, that's why she's holding like, that hand yeah. up. It's forever gloved because it's like they got disfigured. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah. Anyway, amazing. Uh, and then last two I got for this is Susie Garrett, who plays the pianist in this. She only had like five credits to her name, but she had a very long reoccurring role on Punky Brewster as Betty Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like 84 episodes of the show. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, you know, get some residuals for that. Right. So yeah. I had, um, uh, just two more mentioned, uh, yeah. Joseph Mel as Jimmy. Yep. Uh, he was in Star Trek and Johnny Midnight, so we had to get that Johnny Midnight connection there. And then Eugene Borden as the maitre d'. The only reason I mention him is because he has two or 24 credits to his name. 22 of them are as maitre d' or waiter slash head waiter. So 10% of his roles were playing a waiter or maitre d'. And the only reason I noticed that because I started going through and I'm like, wait, that's the over and over and over again. He was listed, so it makes me think he just had an outfit that he would bring, like when they do casting. Like he would you just know, show up on set, yeah, like, like start serving yeah. people on set. They're like, you know what, we could use you. Yeah, and just like just ten percent of his roles were being a waiter. That's that's amazing. And then Robert McCord, uh, you yeah, know, he's in, that was the last yeah. one I had written down as the car passenger. Yeah, so I don't even know what one more on with him by now. Like had one of eighty seven or something, but yeah, <laughs> yeah something like so, that. Yeah, there you go. Um, fun a fun thing uh, also. We are exactly halfway through the Charles Beaumont episodes. Oh, okay. I think we're all, uh, we've gone through eleven, and this is right in the middle. We have eleven more. I. It will be interesting and also sad to to know, wonder how many of the eleven are actually him. You know, we'll see. I yeah, guess we go along. yeah. I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more ghost written episodes from Charles Beaumont. Yeah, from. Uh, from this point on well that's 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 a bummer because i know that was been the great surprise for you of yeah. this of the series so far yeah this was uh 
one of one of my biggest takeaways from the Twilight Zone uh, going through the series is getting to uh, discover some but, Charles Beaumont. So writing. are you not a fan of O.C. Rich? Is that you're not going to go searching? Well, I, I, I mean, I might because it seems like they shared a lot of the same values and a lot of the same interests and everything. So I'm sure there's some good stuff out there. It's just not as easy to get hold of. That's fair. <laughs> All right, uh, that was uh, our long casting crew. Uh, let's just uh, let let Serling uh, take it away. Nathan Edward Bledsoe of the Bowery Bledsoes, a man once a specter now, one of those myriad modern day ghosts that haunt the reeky nights of the city, in search of a flop, a handout, a, a glass of forgetfulness. Nate doesn't know it, but his search is about to end, because those shiny new shoes are going to carry him right into the capital of the twilight zone did he say the bowery blood cells yeah he said the bowery blood wow. cells <laughs> like i just i should i know that yeah i don't know <laughs> i like a glass of forgetfulness yeah i i, I don't know that'd like, be the name of my smooth jazz album by the way like that's like paul stedman and a glass of forgetfulness <laughs> i like it I like it. I listen to a lot of cocktail jazz. That's yeah. not too far off from yeah. some of the stuff I listen to. So yeah, uh, this episode starts off like very much. It makes me think of a touch of evil. Like it makes me feel like that. Like you get the car pulling in, and you get that that nice charging kind of jazzy score. Yeah, that's what I said. It's yeah. got that kind of Peter Gunn uh, score going on. You get the nice car rolling up. This episode is really influenced by film noir. Yeah, and uh, looks incredible. Uh, that's that's definitely something I can't complain about this episode. Um, it, very fantastic look to this. Uh, so they, they they this car pulls in uh, to this alley. Uh, they, this wonderful score, and so you see the main bad guy uh, Daggett, right? Yeah, he's the one. He's just like looking around. He's like, okay, go ahead and drop this body off. And this is what I meant to. I was going to bring up earlier. This is the sound the body makes when they drop when they drop it off. That's that very cartoon, whatever that noise is. That's a that's a bag of potatoes. I think that's the same noise that uh, that the guy in uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit. I think that's the same noise he made when he <laughs> fell out of uh, the toy bucket. It's just like drop that body off. I don't. It just feels like like that's the Scooby Doo noise right there. So they drop the body off. Uh, but it, but from that point, um, when the car backs out, uh, that becomes like a two and a half minute take. Like like a single take of uh, the camera following them as the car backs out a little bit and then it tracks upward, yeah, uh, up the scaffolding and that's when you meet Nathan. Yeah, he's a homeless man or a hobo, as uh, yes. Sterling referred to him in the promo last week. I'm so excited just to talk about hobos. I think they're yeah. I think they're magical. We get a lot of hobos in this episode. <laughs> so yeah. you see him; he's up on some scaffolding up above, and uh, he doesn't really see what's going on down below. But he he gets up out of his his little newspaper bed and takes a swig out of his drink, finishes it and goes down, walks down the steps, starts digging through a trash can, looks over and notices the body lying there. Which, which with uh, awkwardly with the legs splied up in the air a little bit and the shoes like yeah. offset just enough. All you can really see is just the legs and the shoes. Yeah. So um, you can't see who it is. You can't see how they're dressed or anything you just see the nice shoes basically yeah but it's like a, like a two and a half minute like single take which i mean that's not the longest one we've had in the show but I, it took me a second to realize what was going on it was a nice nice camera movement like of yeah. going up and then as they're up on the the scaffolding with him you see the car in the background driving away no yeah. king kong climbing any buildings but you know uh but then it follows him down and then whenever it cuts we back all, to him yeah. we all can't be sky captain <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
Um, but it was kind of a nice, like, you know, it, it, you didn't have to have that level of style, but that's what made me think of touch of evil, even though that's a really long single take, it was involving a car driving on, you know, on camera and off, off, you know, you know, whatever off frame. Um, but I like it that he finds the shoes, uh, well, actually goes over, sees that the guy's alive, then goes for the wall and keys and then the shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I like, good, good call. Make sure he's alive. Dude, you, you dead? I'm taking your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't really tell what he took from him, um, but it's pretty evident very quickly in the episode that was a set of keys. That it took, took me the second time watching it to pick up on the keys. Yeah. They took. Well, uh, where he goes after that yeah. and he pulls the keys out, it, it made me realize what it was. But um, yeah, so he steals the, he checks the wallet, steals the keys and then takes the shoes. So he's he's walking down the street. Well, first, that. that's what we see Serling like looking like the, the camera pans to the left. And it looks like Serling's just in this back alley, like watching this hobo rob this dead guy. And it's like it, it almost makes it look like Serling stepped out back for a smoke and just witnessed some crime in Crime Alley. And, and he's then he's like, like, you know what? I'm just gonna yeah. put this wax nostalgic about hobos for a second. Yeah, like I <laughs> I don't want to get involved with whatever is happening over here. Like how great would it have been if like they would have cut to like this like lump of newspapers and it would have been him uncovering himself like he was one of the homeless <laughs> He's <people>. another homeless. <laughs> or what if he was the dead guy? Like he just looks up, like they take the shoes off and it's Rod Serling. <laughs> I know it would never happen, but it'd be amazing. No, um, it was fine. It was definitely not as good as the last episode of the elevator opening. Yeah. But um yeah, they just do that quick whip pan kind of <laughs> trick editing that they do in a lot of the episodes. Yeah. Um so yeah, we we meet Nate Bledsoe, and he kind of gives you a little background on him. But we're we start walking with Nate, and they're showing the shoes a lot as he's walking around, mm-hmm. and he ends up running into another hobo who stops him aggressively. Well, first when you see the the, the shoes, they're walking like like to the left, and then the left foot stops and actually turns forcibly away yeah, and it kind of looks like they're leading him somewhere. yeah and then, then then he starts like going where the shoes are going which uh you know for the problems that this episode has that's actually a n- nice bit of acting on the part of um uh, uh we stevens just yeah. kind of illustrate that like there's a, there's something else at play here so i like that yeah, I, I have nothing against his performance in this. I mm-hmm. think he does uh, pretty well with the material he's given. And later on, we'll t- just the differences between his personalities in this, um, I, I think he does as good a job as anyone could possibly do with <laughs> yeah, this material. Yeah, yeah. So nothing against him. But yeah, I do like that. It's very subtle just seeing basically that the shoes kind of have a mind of their own there. Yeah, um, so he runs into Chips and um, uh, Sam. Yeah. Uh, Harry Harry Swagger. He runs into Harry, Harry Swagger Sw- and chips, um, and and basically like they're 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 sniffing him out, saying, "Hey, you know, where are you going?" We see basically like they see the shoes, they see him like walking with a purpose. It's like, did you score something? Did you t- like what's going on? And he he doesn't really want to tell him anything, but it, it just shows you how how far a hobo's friendship runs. Of like, hey, we're all we're all brothers of the street, right? Yeah. No. Oh, you got something? I want it too. Like, well, the one hobo stops him, like I said, it's kind of aggressive. And then the other dude pops up. I think he said his name was Sam. Um, uh, Chips is the one, the one that shows up second. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chip shows up and he's kind of like, hey, I saw you. I saw him assault you. Yeah. If you want to take him to court, like I'll, 
<laughs> I'll testify, I'll testify yeah. for you, but you got to split that money with me, you know, like, I, <laughs> yeah. So you can tell they're all just kind of trying to get ahead. And, um, they both notice his shoes and there's a scene where they're both, they're all sitting on a, uh, on a stoop and the two of them are like rubbing his <laughs> shoes. Yeah, because well, Chips is like, oh, this is nice. Uh, it was it a uh, British craftsmanship or something to that yeah. effect? I'm like, of course, Chips will be the one to say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, but it's just like they, they, in the shoes, we should say they do stand out in this episode. Like whatever oh, they, they are, yeah. It's like I kind of want them. Like yeah. they're so ridiculous. They like, look like they're probably just like red and white. Yeah, it looks like, like something you'd see like a henchman in Who Framed Roger Rabbit wearing. You know, and it's like perfect. It's something about like, like the 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 white. I mean, I don't know the white pattern on it. It's very stand out. It stands out, and it, for for what the show is, for what this episode is, and for how garish the wardrobe is that we get into later, it just it does it does kind of say something about the character. And I and I I like the shoes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just uh, the visual of the three of them sitting on the stoop <laughs> with them rubbing his shoes just really yeah <laughs> it, it made me laugh when I saw it. Um, so he ends up walking away from them. He gets away from them and, uh, he ends up at the Chateau Beach, Chateau Beachwood. Um, and he goes up to an apartment. He yeah. like, he knows where he's going, pulls the key out of the, his pocket that he stole from dead guy and goes in. So when he goes in, there is a woman sitting on the couch and she's asking if it's Dane walking in and she looks over and at first only sees his shoes and um, slowly looks up and realizes that it's not Dane. It's some homeless guy that just walked in her apartment. <laughs> this is my biggest thing I have problem with this episode. Well, one of few. Like, th- clearly, this is a homeless person that has been sleeping in the scaffold and covered newspapers, a drunk, right, sifting through trash. And it's and it's the oh, I recognize those shoes, not the pungent hobo odor yeah. that would punch her in the face <laughs> when he opened that door and she's like you're not dane dane doesn't smell like he rolled around the trash can like, that's the whole thing that kept following me like i've watched this whole thing i'm like he must reek because like you see his like his shirt later his undershirt a few seconds later i'm like what is that covered in yeah like, <laughs> yeah it's not good so yeah he goes straight over to their bar and uh, just starts downing a bottle. Yeah, guzzles it. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, hey, hey, that's Dane's bottle. And he's like, I know. That's why I'm drinking it. Uh, so she says something like, it, he's going to kill you. He's coming back. Like, you got you need to get out of here. I don't know who you are. And she's, she's. I think she says she's going to like go downstairs or something. Call well, he, yeah, and he's like, well, he's like, uh, he says to her, make me a drink. And then she goes to go downstairs. He's like, I kill you before you get downstairs. Yeah, you'll never make it downstairs. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so he goes into the bedroom just starts cleaning up rummaging through stuff finds the money <laughs> finds a gun yeah there's the bit where he takes off his coat his uh his hobo coat and goes to put it on like this like dress stand and he just looks at it and he's like nope but just like drops yeah, it just and throws like, it on the floor which i kind of like that but it's like this episode it just it just never gets going until like the last five minutes but there's this whole like you know oh the hobo is just going to get he's going to get prettied up now is what's going to happen yeah there's it's yeah. like a good six seven minute sequence in this 20 minute episode <laughs> of just him uh fixing himself up yeah um but yeah so he's in the bathroom he has cleaned himself up and everything and wilma's outside and she's calling him in bernie asking if he's seen uh dane and he says no and she's like just give me a call if you get a hold of him or you see him or whatever so 
as he's in the bathroom getting ready, he takes his shoes off, and you can see it snap immediately in his face that he has no idea where he is. Yeah, Nathan's back. Yeah, Dean's so, gone. Yeah, know? so yeah. he he has no idea where he is. He opens the door. Wilma's out there with a gun on him, and she's asking him like, "Who are you?" What do you know? Mm-hmm. Like, where is Dane and all this? And he's like, I don't know anything. Like, she says, I no one else wears shoes like Dane. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, the, like he, you know, he might be a two bit crook, you know, or part of the mafia or something. But it's like, no one ever, ever wears shoes like Dane. You know, yeah. dumb, dumb shoes, Dane. That's what they called him. Like that was his mom name. Um, so he doesn't know anything. And so finally, she's like, just put your shoes on. And go. Like, just get out of here. <laughs> That's a, like, if they're his shoes, why would you, like, you, and he's a homeless guy, just, just, just go. Yeah. Just get out. Like, you have a gun. Like, like, <laughs> but you're like no, no, put the shoes on. He's like, yeah, I should put the shoes on. And then yeah. he puts the shoes so on. So he puts them on, and that's when we get the music turns back on. Yeah. The uh, snare. Which we didn't mention when he puts the shoes on the first time. You just get that kind of like, just this like rolling jazzy snare. Yeah, is that an oboe that, that plays into, or is that like a, it's some, it, it sounds like an oboe to me, and I know it's not right. But that whatever it is with the snare, yeah, probably. Um, it just um, it made me think of Mike Myers, and so I married an axe murderer. Yeah, it's when he does it's just his talking poetry. Sounding. Yeah, like, whoa, man, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. the music starts again as soon as he puts his shoes on, because every time he has the shoes on, this music is going on underneath, and that's what I was talking about it being repetitive. That's the superpower here. That's the supernatural power. Is they just, just get followed by snare drive jazz constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he puts the shoes on. Music starts again. He immediately you see the again you see his face change. Yeah, and you see the confidence and everything come back into him. And uh, it, I'll give him credit. Like this is kind of a goofy screen, a teleplay, but the guy pulls it off. Like you can see it in his face without him even saying anything. You can just see the confidence come and go from him. Yeah. Whether the shoes are on or off. Um, so he asks her again to make a drink once he becomes Dane again, when he puts the shoes back on and basically threatens her. I think he tells her he's going to rip her arm off or, or something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's something questionable. Um, but now he's in Dane's clothes and everything. And so my question though, is he did get cleaned up. But he also is aware that if he takes the shoes off, he's no longer Dane. Did he shower with the shoes on? Or did he just change into fresh clothes and still smell bad like a hobo, but wearing nice clothes? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, because if he took them off, he might he may have gotten so confused that he would end up leaving the shoes behind again. So he had to have kept the shoes on. Like, what if he like left a note, like a memento style, like, Dane, do not leave the bathroom. Take a shower, put the shoes back on. We'll talk later. You know. Like, yeah. But yeah, I just and anyway, I overthought this episode way too much. I'm like, this guy. I, I didn't even yeah. think about that. <laughs> to be honest. Anyway, sorry. I I'm derailing this episode that takes a while to get where it's going. Anyway, so I apologize. Yeah. So she's making him a drink, and she's like, well, "What do you want?" And he was like, "Oh, you know what I usually drink? Tequila. Yeah. With a lump of sugar. Yeah, a cube of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Which it sounds terrible." Like, it's just, <laughs> but whatever. So as soon as she, as soon as he asked for that specific drink, she kind of seems like something's up here. Mm-hmm. Like she knows because it, it is a bizarre drink. Like uh, that's something specific that a lot of people don't drink. It's just tequila <laughs> with a with a cube of sugar. 
I mean, like a whiskey on the rocks or something would have been like, all right, that, that doesn't. Yeah, I mean, for that's some reason. Or like a Manhattan or something, you know, like just anything that was just like a normal drink of the time. But just a tequila with a cube of sugar is very specific. Yeah, I just, it's it's Chekhov's drink. It shows up later and, it, you know, it has a payoff, kind of, yeah. you know. But, yeah, uh, and I, I like the yeah. second time it pops up. Yeah. So he's like you know who i am and he comes behind the bar and kisses her and everything she starts crying because not just kissing her but like it's it's a forced kiss like he yeah like he forces himself upon her and he's like who am i she's like you're dane and then she's like oh, i'm kissing a hobo that's not dane <laughs> yeah so she starts crying and obviously the only way to stop her from crying is to <laughs> slap her um that's just that's just the train code, you know. Yeah. That's the train yard code yeah. of the hobo, you know? which is funny. I, I this is a weird segue. Um, <laughs> so they remade this episode okay. um, in the '80s uh, series and uh, subsequently in the 2000 series, which I didn't realize. But mm-hmm. uh, Paul, for my birthday this year, bought me the '80s series. So I was like, you know what? This will be a good time to crack this open and watch this episode. Um, they reverse the roles a little bit and it's a it's a wife who comes back to basically haunt the husband that killed her and okay. it's helen mirren and jeffrey Tanbor um from arrest development fame and saturday the 14th and all that good stuff um but you know saturday, or hellboy you know whatever you want to hear yeah, yeah saturday the 14th you know <laughs> the one everyone's seen uh, <laughs> arrested development that's that little heard of comedy yeah. but um so she comes back to like haunt the husband that killed her and everything. So it, it hits all the same beats and everything. But he also ends up slapping her <laughs> in the 80s one. And I was like, what a weird thing to leave in there. Like one of those connective tissues. That's just part of Jeffrey Tambor's writer. You know, like I, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, that's um, weird. And yeah, it, yeah, I was I was really surprised because they had this like the switch and like Helen Mirren plays a lady. She's this very soft spoken, mild mannered lady who works at a thrift store that ends up getting the dead wife's shoes. And it like changes her personality and everything. And uh, she becomes this very confident woman and hmm. everything, but still ends up getting slapped. And I was like, <laughs> did she also order a tequila with a lump of sugar? A no, sugar? it was a Manhattan oh. was her drink okay. in this one. So that with was a cube of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it was just it was very weird that that was one huh. of the things that they brought back in the eighties series. I, I've not seen the, the the CW uh, revival with Dead Man's Eyes, which is the third one, the remake. It makes me wonder if someone gets slapped in that. That would be yeah. like we'll, we'll we'll get to the end here, but it's like this is an odd one to remake and then have it show up in all three runs of the show. Yeah, I like, just yeah. you know whenever you see that kind of like uh, violence towards women and everything in these. It, it's always just so of the time. You know, I watch a lot of, like, 70s Italian uh, giallos and Eurocrime movies and stuff that it just, there's a lot of that going yeah. on. And you kind of just have to, you just kind of have to take it for, like, the time and the place. And it's uncomfortable it, it, to watch and everything. Yeah. And it was one of those things when it happened in the 80s series that I thought that, like, Aren't we past that? We should be past that, <laughs> especially with like Helen Mirren playing the main character yeah. and everything. It was just kind of surprising to see that pop up. But yeah, it's definitely something of the time and not to apologize for it. But uh, well, I mean, we didn't write the episode. We didn't tell him to do that, but it was so it was yeah. very off putting. But it also but you shows can tell Dane is not a good person. No. And you can tell that kind of relationship that they have where. Yeah, it was not yeah. a healthy relationship no. or anything. Not so, but it was just. Like I said, it was weird to see it pop back up in the 80s. And it seemed like it came out of nowhere, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so, so yeah, so D- Dane slash uh, Nathan, he ends up going back to the club um, where he runs across Daggett and his men. And when he shows up to the club, he sits at the, at the, the bar and he's just staring at Daggett and Daggett's girlfriend and company associated. He's just kind of like grinning and like leering at him. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just like this whole like, ha, you know. Like, well, I like uh, the bartenders like... Uh, Man, you must have a death wish or something. You shouldn't be staring at the lady over there. He's like, I'm not staring at the woman. Yeah. Like, like what? And so then, so then, uh, it's like, what kind of drink we want, sir? And he was like, I'll have a tequila. Yeah, he yells it with the cube of sugar in it. It just like says it, and it's like, and he's just like saying it like directly at Daggett, and just like gr- like not not gr- grinning, but he has this whole like, huh? yeah and then like and then everybody's like who's this idiot over here and they're all like talking they're like they, they, they see the shoes too which are very prominently displayed yeah and eventually daggett's like i don't know who this guy is but you need to go over and, and deal with him so he sends one of these guys over to say you know we well, need to have a talk he's like no he's like i do want to talk to daggett like you know i'm a messenger basically and i need to talk to him uh, in private yeah, he um, says his name is Kilroy. Yeah, like it's like, what's your name? It's like Kilroy. And, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they they um, somehow eventually get into uh, Daggett's uh, office, and while they're sitting down, um, you know, Dane is or Nathan, whatever. He call, it basically is like, oh, you got it all cleaned up so fast. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, all the blood that was over there must have been really, you know, must have been a lot. Must have been you know, real you know, surprised you got it all cleaned up. And Daggett's like, you know. He, Daggett knows something's going on. You yeah, know, well, but, they do it immediately when he orders the drink and has the shoes on. Like, yeah, like you, Daggett's like the only one looking at each other, knows, like, what's, yeah. go, what's going on? Yeah. And so then, like, basically, you know, Dane's like, I have a message for you. Well, first, actually, before he sits down, he gets, he gets patted down for a gun. And what was the line in there? Um, it's like, oh, look, something what was it, like, oh, happy Easter. The guy pulls the gun and says, happy Easter. Yeah. And then then uh, Dane looks at him and was like, tell the Easter buddy here I want my gun back when this is over. Yeah. It's like it's such, a, <laughs> such a dumb line, but I liked it. It's such a like film noir line, though. <laughs> yeah. Like. Um, so basically he calls Daggett out for uh, killing Dane himself, you know, killing him. Um, and then as, and as it, like, they're talking about this, he, he, uh, Dane pulls a gun out of his ankle holster and goes to aim it at Daggett. But then, then the episode, like, this is the last three minutes of the episode. And then it gets really like goofy for like 10 seconds <laughs> where one of, uh, Daggett's, uh, you know, hitmen is hiding behind a picture behind, yeah. uh, uh, Dane. And he opens the fake wall to go shoot at Dane and Dane shoots him. And then turns around, looks at Daggett, and he's like, you think you're going to fool me again with that? You got me with that once before. And then immediately to the right of, of Daggett is a hole in a bookcase that has a gun through it and just shoot, and someone just shoots Dane. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like immediately. And then the bookcase swings open so you can tell that there was somebody there. And it makes me wonder if that would have missed. Was there a third guy hiding someplace else in this Yeah, just in case. With the gun. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so as he's <laughs> laying on the ground after getting shot, um, he basically tells him he's like i'll be back bernie again mm-hmm. and again like i'm gonna keep coming back and so then you get the repeat of the beginning of the episode of them pulling up into that same alleyway yeah. and dropping a body off so i just like if yeah. if this is something that's just gonna keep repeating like that alley's gonna get filled up pretty quickly <laughs> like that happened really fast um because then you get uh chips. chips yeah he pops up from behind a garbage can 
and sees he sees um, Nathan. He's like, Nathan. "Oh, you got royally smashed." And yeah, he so he thinks he's just passed out and steals his shoes. Yeah, <laughs> and so you get the uh, the cycle repeating all over again. Yeah, like I um, I, I was like, and no one learned a lesson about dumping bodies in the exact same spot. You yeah, know? that's why I was like. And if Daggett is kind of like thinking, well, wait a second, this guy is wearing Dane's clothes and has his shoes, you know, maybe, maybe there's something going on here, you know, but he doesn't really question that part of it. Cause what, well, even after, after Dane's dead, someone's like, who was this Daggett's like, it was, it's, I don't know who this was. Like he actually pauses yeah, cause he knows what's up. And I think that buries. And it's ridiculous. It is so, ridiculous. you know, there's, there's part of him that's probably like. This is weird, but this can't actually be happening, you yeah. know. So like, you can see, you can see him kind of stop himself and be like, "No, no, no, it it couldn't have been." And I think that or actually buries maybe. the the lead of what like the the truly creepy part of the episode is. Whenever Dane's like, "I'm gonna keep coming for you," yeah. and then the notion that even though these shoes are like this bright neon sign of like Dane's coming, you do not know who you're going to see that's going to be him yeah. and a kind of like weird. It follows kind of thing of like, you don't know the face of the person coming to you, but they're, they're coming to get you. Yeah. That is really a creepy thought, but it's completely just overlooked, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, the, the Wilma is just left in that apartment waiting like chips is going to show up. Like now is that what's going to happen next? Yeah. And she's just going to keep getting slapped by random hobos <laughs> in her apartment <laughs> forever. Like that's, that's her, uh, future. Yeah. Oh, well, that's really dark. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the episode. Um, yeah. Uh, it, um, it's, I, just talking about it is it was much more fun to talk about it than it was to watch it twice. Like it just it just didn't it's, go it's, anywhere. It's a breezy episode from uh, as far as what I thought like it's a fairly breezy episode. It just kind of goes by. I I wasn't totally invested with any of the characters or anything. Um it it, it didn't really hit me. Yeah. At all, like it, it's not something I'm gonna be thinking about for weeks to come or anything. I, I think it's so. kind of fun. It's a it's a clever idea, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, clever, I guess. But like, just because, maybe because of the music and the way it was just kind of weird in terms. It of almost like had like a black comedy vibe to it. A little which bit. I guess the original idea for the story was it was going to be a straightforward comedy. Um, yeah. With a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah. Rather than shoes. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely glad that they leaned away from the comedy, but you could tell that like, there was still some urge to make it funny, but mm -hmm. it wasn't funny. So there's just this like weird air of comedy over very straightforward, serious material. I, maybe it's just because the music we've heard before, but this, that shouldn't change my opinion. Cause we've had other episodes where the music has been reused. Yeah. It, it felt very much like an early season one episode where the show couldn't figure out what it wanted to do. Yeah. Like what direction it was going. Yeah. So it, it's got, it's got a lot of, a lot of parts from a lot of different genres coming together in this. Yeah. You got a little bit of horror. You got that film noir kind of crime story. You got, a little bit of sci-fi supernatural stuff going on. Yeah, I just I don't know. It and was it, just reused music. It just it, it does feel just kind of pieced together. Like we're not quite sure what we're going for with this one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, but I I thought it was kind of breezy. I thought it was fun to watch it again. Uh, 
much like uh, some of the episodes this season. Probably something I won't watch again. So, but, <laughs> yeah. No, I did watch it again for the 80s version. <laughs> that was basically the same thing again. Um, so I think that this story idea, and this talks about the O.C. Rich portion of it, how he wrote Static, there was this discussion of like a number of scripts that were going to be shot for videotape. And I think this was one of those ideas, per, per, per what I was reading here, it doesn't say it specifically, but this was this idea was in the discussion of one of the lower budget episodes. So I think this has been kicking around since season two. It just didn't get made till now. Okay. Um, until this point in the run, I so that kind of man, I, I, as much as I did not really care for this episode, I think I would have despised if it was shot on video oh, with like, yeah, that would have been that would have been the final <laughs> nail in this one, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would have not been good. So, uh, two things I want to read here. Uh, Warren Stevens shared his recollection of being directed by Montgomery Pittman. Um, and so he says, Pittman said, Listen, I don't know how you should play this, you're on your own. So that was it. I was on my own. I played a bum who put on the <laughs> shoes of a dead gangster and then became the gangster. I, I think it should have been a joint effort with suggestions from both parties kind of melting melting into something that comes out right. So I never forgot uh, uh, Pittman um, from both. What's it, I, sorry. I, so I never forgot Pittman saying to me, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so basically Pittman's like, I don't know what to do about this. And he goes on further. He says, I met Rod Serling, not on the show, but I met him before. He smoked far too much. Otherwise, he was a very personable guy. <laughs> but just here's a Beaumont uh, a Beaumont <laughs> bit for you that you'll appreciate. And this says off the side trivia. Beaumont wrote the Sterling often in a hurried format with careless regard to proper spelling and punctuation in his letters. And this is going to be your favorite phrase from now on. And one letter he asked Sterling to give me a growl on the tube, which meant call on the telephone. Oh man. Isn't that like, it like, sounds so bomb. Like give me a growl on the tube. And I like, I like that. Uh, uh, Martin Graham's junior, the guy who wrote the, the twilight zone, uh, unlocking the door to the television classic had to decipher Beaumont's letters to figure out the, <laughs> like, you know, what that meant. What are you talking about? Give me a growl on the tube. That sounds way wrong. Like out of context. But yeah, I like that. Uh, Warren Stevens, basically, the director was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just... <laughs> and that Sterling seemed nice enough, but he smoked way too much. Yeah, they're like, uh, I, I don't know what the direction of this episode is going. Yeah. Um, fun thing about the 80s episode, the remake of this as well, uh, Jeffrey Tambor's character's name was Mr. Montgomery. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's probably a nod. That's nice. I like that. It's got to be a nod, yeah. right? That and the slap to the face, I guess. It's yeah. Like, the... you know, you know, so... All right, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got. Uh, so I don't know if you have anything else you want to talk about these dead man shoes. No, um, it definitely is not like a uh, very subtextual episode or anything. No, <laughs> There's not no. really much to talk about. Yeah, uh, just don't steal from dead people. Yeah, that's, that's so what I learned. Let's uh, let's let's rate the twist. Surprising, much like last episode, I'm going to give this a four because the notion that Daggett can never rest easy as he will know he'll never know when Dame will come back is kind of interesting to me. That in my mind, because you see at least Daggett is aware of the possibility. Yeah, that's a bigger that's a bigger story thread to me. And now that we poor, we know about the poor woman now just waiting for a series of hobos to come beat her, <laughs> that's bad too. But the the twist of like of Dane saying I'm always coming back. Like I, it's not really. I guess it's not really a twist, but it just. I didn't mind that. That's a very haunting notion of like you know, as much as you think you're going to stop me, I'm always going to come get you, no matter how many people you have hide behind paintings and bookcases. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm not going to be as generous with it because I saw it coming. <laughs> like as soon as he puts on the shoes, 
you kind of know what you're going to get. Well, yeah, but I mean, and, like that one time, I didn't know if this would be like a repeat. Yeah, but you know, the, the you know. loop thing at the end yeah, with the true. setup of the hobos and everything, it, it definitely wasn't surprising. I, I, I'm going to give it a three okay. and a half. <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right so that's going to do us for uh for talking about dead man's shoes uh kevin how can people get a hold of us you can find us on facebook instagram youtube uh all over the place uh definitely check out the facebook if you want to check out our live show that we did back out in october let us know what you think about it if you want to send us feedback on the live show or any other episode you can leave us a voicemail or an email at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And then it would really help us out if you would go on to iTunes, give us a five-star review on there. And while you're there, subscribe. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. Yeah, sorry. Next episode is called The Hunt. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little tip. This The Sterling script takes a turn halfway through. Well, you, you tell me where right? <clears throat> Perhaps no characters in or out of fiction has had as much notoriety or publicity as the so-called Grim Reaper. Next week on the Twilight Zone, through the good offices of Mr. Earl Hamner, we present a unique story called The Hunt. It concerns the demise of an old hunter and his dog, and this one we rather urgently recommend to people who have lost their senses of humor and who would like to recover same. As one of my kids says, there's a trillion, trillion ways of telling a story, but there's only one way to tell the Chesterfield story, and that's simply to say that great tobaccos make a wonderful smoke. <laughs> Try Chesterfields. <laughs> they satisfy. Oh, man. Yep. They just, it just turned right into another cigarette ad there at the end. Like, how, he evoked his children in that, too. Yeah, that, but, that's, a, that's definitely uh, something of the time there. <laughs> there is no way he could get away with that yeah, today. Yeah, right. So anyway, uh, next episode, The Hunt. I've not seen it. Uh, with Sterling saying that this one is for people that need a sense of humor, I am worried. I'm hoping that I'm not disappointed by another comedy episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, the return of the Grim Reaper and a hunter and his dog sounds promising. Yeah, but as a comedy, you know, there could be a time helmet. I don't know, but uh, yeah. God. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, no. <laughs> no more one time helmet is enough this yeah. season. Uh, it's, yeah, it's going to do it for us this this week. We'll see you next time for the hunt. Uh, yeah, um, just also, why was it in 1962 every single male had the same shoe size? Why was that a thing? Everybody had a nine and a half uh, foot. Yeah, that's a really small foot. <laughs> it's a really small foot. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I think this is going to be released on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, if it isn't, I guess I'm forcing Paul to release it. So have a happy and safe Thanksgiving, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, don't dig into the trash. Don't steal hobos. Yeah. Don't steal. Sorry, don't steal shoes. If, you know, especially if you're a hobo. Yeah, and we're very thankful that you took time to listen to our podcast. Yes. <laughs> You like to live uh, dangerously, do you? Am I? If you keep on staring at this woman... It's not the woman I'm staring at. <laughs>